Did he just say you're the minstrel gigolo? Oh, he did indeed say you're the minstrel gigolo. It's why I picked it. I was like, what does that mean? Those are two words that independently make me uncomfortable yeah. and put together are just unacceptable. I don't like either of those words in polite conversation. You put it back to back and I'm like, oh, oh don't, don't need to know. 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Super extra magnificent to be in the 80s. I can't wait. I love it. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, so everybody out there, welcome to 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. We're part of the Drive-In Podcast Network. So go to musiccitydrivein.com to get all your podcasting needs. Including fantasy football. Yeah, indeed. I- hey, you know, last week's was an all-timer. 1979, the best album uh, Ben's incredible story about Stairwell Boy. Um, I, I just loved it. I loved listening to it. And Simple Cast has us up over 33,000 uh, listens and downloads at this time. Jimmy, those, those, those boys in marketing, you're just killing it. They really are. But it's come to my attention that although we may have brought great joy to a great many people with our insight and humor there is one listener that's what it is that's the combo <laughs> i think one... you should put an or between insights and humor i think you should <laughs> put back i don't think and is fair there sorry good point um there's one listener who's not pleased with the podcast particularly our portrayal of the bgs is it fair to say that ben barton oh indeed Long-time listener and fan of the podcast. Not necessarily fan of Ed Barton, but fan of the podcast. <laughs> My beloved dad, who is oh, unbelievably kind and amazing. He's been great, and it's super nice of him to listen to it all. Anyhow, this, is, this is the man who let someone uh, vomit on his shoes when he took you in an ACDC sure, concert. In 1980, not. maybe. And this is a guy who, who played in a band in the 60s and opened for Steve Miller and is just like a, a legit... Uh, music nerd and so person who knows a lot in and of okay. himself. Anyhow, uh, and he's also a person who just pulled no punches as a father, uh, period. So his, his comments on that that year was, Ben, you know nothing about the Bee Gees. You don't even like the Bee Gees. Now, and what was, was like, it that you said? That was and I was so like, what do you offensive. mean? And he was like, well, a lot of people, and I think by a lot of people, he was including me, are confused to think that the Bee Gees career peaked in the disco era. And I was like, that that was my impression. And he's like, the Bee Gees had a bunch of fantastic songs before the disco I love era. This. I my love dad's this. a huge Bee Gees fan. Me hey, too. Timmy, you're going to be super pleased. And now you're going to stop rooting for me and start rooting for my dad. <laughs> yes. My dad was like, you know, it was funny. I went and saw the Bee Gees. Uh, were the Alice Tully Hall at Lincoln Center. And uh, Hall of Notes opened. <laughs> and so I, it was really funny. Like I, I saw Hall of Notes and the Bee Gees. And this is like in 74. This yeah. is like before they were big disco stars for sure. 
And uh, so I was like, really? I made a mistake on that? Because I, I actually looked at it. I, I couldn't hum a single Bee Gees song before oh, the, the disco era. So many great love and songs. I was like, and I was like, well, so what, what was the biggest uh, Bee Gees hit before the disco era? And I was like, uh, I don't know, that mining disaster song? Yes. And I was like, okay, so first of all, that <laughs> mining disaster song was not a huge hit. <laughs> and then he was like, other ones. Uh, they were they were very beetly. That was what my dad liked about them. And again, uh, this is this actually was really uh, illuminating for me. Like one of the reasons why there are more imitators of the Stones is the Stones are a more generous sound. Same with Led Zeppelin. You could do a really passable imitation of the Stones or Led Zeppelin. Okay, it, it's hard to do a passable imitation of the Beatles. Beatlesque. If, if you miss by an inch, you sound the way the Beatles sounded, which is just like so hideously disastrously oh. bad. So my dad uh, <laughs> hipped me to the YouTube top 20 Bee Gees songs, which okay. I just, I can't recommend highly enough. Um, <laughs> so there's 10 of the top 20 are, are disco songs that you know. And one of them is their, their version of Islands in the Stream. Like there's a bunch of songs you know, but all of the ones from earlier, I had literally never heard. And, and my dad was like, I was a huge Bee Gees fan. I played these albums when you were a kid. Surely yeah. you remember them. And I was like, I must have hidden in my room with pillows over my head because I don't remember <laughs> this at all. So uh, several highlights. Yeah. One is the 1966 theme song to the Australian comedy show, Spicks and Specks, which I just, I can't say okay. enough about the okay. song Spicks and Specks. It's unbelievable. And it okay. comes with its Cups own- and cakes, strong, right? Oh, dude, and it comes with its own video. It's amazing. Can we play? Can we play a little? The mining Joe? disaster song. I strongly it's a, recommend. Is a great song. Two minutes oh. long, and it's about a mining disaster. <laughs> and that was their biggest hit before disco. You know, I don't know great. how I missed it's, it. There's a mining disaster, and they're like, "How much time do we need to encapsulate the tragedy these families went through?" I think two <laughs> minutes. I think two minutes is going to be played. Yeah, and then it. the last thing I'll note is one reason to not don't listen to it go to YouTube and watch the video is because of Robin Gibbs teeth. Like his teeth oh, are so unbelievable nice. in the 60s. It's totally the Austin Martin. His teeth are going eight directions. It actually, at one point I was like, does he have a gold grill on? Like what is happening in his face? <laughs> Needless to say in the 70s one, they fixed it and he's super good looking by the 70s one. But I mean, the, the video of him in the 60s is like, what is that? Like, they didn't Austin have dentists powers. in Australia, apparently. Like it's just brutal. Yeah. They didn't have fluoride in the water in the British colonies. It was a problem. So, little well. First of all, Jeff, Spicks and Specks. What's it called? I, I do the mining. Well, choose whichever one you think will be most disastrous. Defend your BGs, and then we'll put the song up as the. I'm afraid to type the word Spicks into my computer. <laughs> Just do BGs first. If you start with that, you'll be fine. I got it. I got it. Go ahead. What do you want to say first, Timmy? Do in the middle of it though, because no, it think... starts with piano and it sounds normal. But in the I don't middle, know which you'll song get the full flavor. Of it. I'm doing the mining disaster. That's the one I could find. Good. That Spicks and Specks is such a minor nothing hit, and it's not even on Spotify. I just oh, that's amazing. All right, here we go. Can't hear it. I know. Oh, well, there have been times where... In the event of something happening to me <laughs> There is something I would like you all to see You're not allowed to do those movements. It's just a photograph of someone that I knew 
Have you seen my wife, Mr. Jones? First of all, did uh, she die in the mining disaster? You know Why is he asking Mr. Like Jones about his wife? What happened to her? No, it, 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 it ran through the whole town. It was terrible. All right, pause. Do oh. the Bee Gees song, uh, Massachusetts. That's another one, for it's sure. Great song. Anyone from Boston knows this song. All right, hold on. So bad. Something's telling me I must go home. That sounds like if somebody sang over the New Heart theme song. You know the one where he he owned oh, the totally. inn. That'd be like if they like they did that. It was like my name is Bob and I have a hotel. It's out in the woods. You should come see the people who live there. Like. That's, that's what that sounded like to me. I so I've got one more mean thing to say about the BTs uh, okay. and then one nice thing for okay. my dad. The, right, the last cool. mean thing is that their first gigantic disco hit was Jive Talking. And if you want to talk about cultural appropriation, I mean, so extra mega not okay to have that be their big hit, to just basically listen to an Earth, Wind & Fire record and be like, we could do that, just like we did a Beatles record, and then get oh, a yeah. massive hit for it. And use the word Jive, which is, clearly a description of african-american vernacular as yeah. the, the the chorus super extra mega bad all of that being said pour one out for our guys like how about starting in 1957 in a skiffle act and yeah. freaking hanging in there like yeah. hanging in there through this fake beetle period and through a fake what a bluegrass period like all they they just kept at it they until really they made it and it's an amazing story like they are the look- larry the cable guy of popular music. They just hung in there until they found the thing that worked and then they they leaned into it, you know? Well, so, I mean, it's a little, like, it's a little unfair, but I mean, James Brown, like I praised him for going through four different iterations. Yeah. It's actually, but he was weirdly good at each one. Like the thing that's funny <laughs> about this is they went through several really bad iterations where I was like, oh man, like if, if a, there was a mining disaster and these guys died, that would have been preferable. I would never have to hear any of this crap again. All right. So here's what you need to do. You need to watch the documentary on the Bee Gees on HBO. And I've already given you one homework assignment. You're writing up that story from last week. And now you need to watch this documentary. Everybody has said that to me. I can't tell you how many people have told me to watch the Bee Gees documentary. There's a reason we're telling you that. Well, I guess so. I just like, (laughs) I have a hard time believing that I'm going to enjoy it. But like. It's like when everybody told me I had to watch the four-hour Eagles documentary. I <laughs> no, nobody told you that. Nobody oh, yes, told you that. They very no. did tell me oh, that. Oh, well, that's that's the greatest gross. hits. I did not watch the whole thing, but the greatest hits on YouTube of that were gold. They were, were great. Those gold. guys were even. They did not disappoint. I was like, I have a version of the Eagles that I'm hoping will show up here, and welcome to the jungle. They showed oh, up. Stayed. Man, great. All right. Well, we've got to move on. That was a what? That was a. Golly, 12 minute uh BG 12 minutes detour. where I just use the backhoe to bury the BG. <laughs> My dad will not talk to me for a month. It's gonna be it's gonna be frosty at Thanksgiving because of my take on Massachusetts. Yeah, you're not getting that you're not getting the leg, that's for sure. Oh wow. Uh by the way, in 1980, uh you're in Brooklyn, Ben. Yeah. Jeff, you're in Annapolis. I am in Annapolis by then, yeah. And I uh we've moved from New Jersey up to 
Massachusetts. Massachusetts. <laughs> I believe it's where you were. Uh, what were our parents doing? So my dad got transferred by the AC Nielsen company uh, and got shoved into a new office park up there. And my mother was working as a detox nurse. Uh, ben, what were your parents doing at this time? All right. So my dad had transitioned into the jingle business. Sorry? The jingle business. So he was working as the head of sales. And I think maybe now he was like the like kind of the, the, the COO of the company. Anyhow, the jingle business is where they make music for commercials. Oh. And the 77 to 83 time was like just flush time for them. They did. Any jingles did, we know? Oh, for sure. Oh. They did reach out and touch someone. Wow. Reach out, reach out, reach out, and touch someone. Oh, sure. the yeah. ad. They okay. did Kentucky Fried Chicken. We, we do, do chicken, chicken right. Wow. Uh, they did the Pepsi Generation. Oh. They were killing it during this stretch of time. Dang. And my mom was a professor at Parsons School of Art and Design, teaching English to art students. So she oh. was inspiring artists to read books. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Jeff Simons? Dad had just gotten tenure at the United States Naval Academy in the history department and had published uh, his first book, which I believe sold nine copies total, (laughs) called Navalists and Anti-Navalists. He got better. He got better after that. They're anti-navalists? Apparently there are some. Enough to write a book about them. Wow. Okay. Uh, And then my mom uh, was the director of admissions and development uh, at the school that I started to attend. Those are two very big jobs. Yeah, it was a very small time. school, but okay. they were very big jobs. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, you know what they were listening to in 1980 uh, was probably the Grammy winner, who I would argue is a descendant musically of the Bee Gees. And I want to know. Ben Barton, can you name that descendant before you even hear a note? No, just give it to me. This is the Grammy winner of 1980. You get to pick the song, Jeff. Oh, I'm picking I'm picking the album closer because, you okay. know, most great artists save their best work for, for the end. So, Ben, this is from a six-minute epic album closing track by the best artist of 1980. It's the Grammy winner. Christopher Cross by Christopher Cross. You're the minstrel jiggler. No way, really? You're kidding me. Did he just say you're the minstrel gigolo? Oh, he did indeed say you're the minstrel gigolo. It's why I picked it. I was like, what does that mean? Those are two words that independently make me uncomfortable yeah. and put together are just unacceptable. I don't like either of those words in polite conversation. You put it back to back and I'm like, oh, oh don't, don't need to know. Well, all right. What was the big hit from the album? Give us a, a taste of that. Oh, well, it was either Ride Like the Wind or Sailing. Those were the two big hits. Oh, you got to play it. Ten seconds. Oh, do I really? Okay. And by the way, Here. Sailing I'll jump was in the, the middle song of Ride Like the too, Wind. Right? This, this album was just gargantuan. Didn't oh, he yeah. yeah. Song it's those congas. Oh, my God. Oh, my 
Oh, so, okay. We, we figured out something really important tonight. A yacht rock gets its origin from early Bee Gees. Yacht rock is an extension of skiffle music. <laughs> now you're really, that's a big, that's a big, big uh, taffy pull. All sorts. This of is like Yacht Rock 101, I feel like, though. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I even, There are several songs about boats on this record. So sailing. sailing I would say where? the least objectionable is Ride Like the Wind of those songs. Yeah. Wouldn't you agree or no? Oh, the least objectionable? Yeah. I mean, it's it's still a pretty crap song, but it's got yeah. that like. <laughs> it definitely Copa... beats sailing. I mean, sailing oh, yeah. it, is... it's, it's got that kind of Copacabana like. I'm, yeah, you know, I'm grooving in a leisure suit thing going, yeah, but it's, totally. it ain't great. Well, it's when got you're little Bob Skaggs to it, Timmy. It does. When you're when you're a minstrel gigolo, you know, you've got that kind of rhythm. Jesus Timmy, Christ. you would know, man, and I appreciate you sharing with us. I had uh, my student and advisee come up to me today and say, hey, what do you think of Boz Skaggs? No, you I didn't. That, I don't believe I, that at all. I promise you, I could get him on the phone right now. That's what what your student universe? was like, hey, I'm looking into getting really into cocaine. What do you think about <laughs> Boss Gags? Right. Give us the context of that. He and I talk music all the time. Okay. And so I, I, he's already said that he's naming his first child Adam Joel. Because he loves Adam Duritz and he loves Billy Joel. That's just I fine, guess it's man. better like than Billy kid. Duritz. He's I fine. Mean, I... Yeah, that's better than Adam Boz, I think. So that's good. <laughs> Anything right. is better than Boz. So 1980, uh, Jimmy Carter's presidency is kind of limping to its close. Reagan is uh, bursting forth like morning all over America. Do, I, do either of you know the uh, count of the election? How many states Reagan Oh, wins? I think I'm pretty sure about it. Oh, Isn't it, okay. it's 48 to two with Minnesota and Massachusetts. No, that's, that's I think Mondale that's 84, 84. Oh, I'm sorry. So we're in 80. 80 is closer, right? I mean, he Reagan wins, but it's not a blowout, right? I'm going to say Reagan gets 30 states. Jeff, what do you think? Over or under? Well, it depends on the 36. I think he wins by basically California's electoral votes. He wins, but it's not. He gets like 300 electoral votes. I, I think you all are blocking out how bleak the 70s were and how ready America was was to move on. It was 44 to 6. Mm. Uh, Reagan wow. over Carter at the 1980 And then he uh, went 49 election. to 1 over Mondale. That's I unbelievable. Mean, like Mondale lost Massachusetts. Is that true? And D.C. He only won Minnesota. He got three electoral votes. It was remarkable. Um, in 1980, Iron Maiden comes out with their debut album, Iron Maiden. Oh, I'll cut this. Moving on. Iron Maiden? What happened there? Did I say <clears throat> Did You said it like you'd never said it out loud before. It made me giggle. <laughs> That's another band that I'm afraid of, so I don't talk about them. Iron? I, I, I also can't say D-R-A-W-I-N-G. Yeah, that's a hard word. Thank you. Rosie Ruiz wins oh. the Boston Marathon. Uh, Jeff, is that a problem? Well, only if you're allowed to use the uh, public transit as the assist. She's the one that gets on public transit and skips the middle like 11 miles, right? That is correct. And jumps back 
uh, onto the route in Newton. That sounds like my kind of marathon. I got to be honest. Uh, yeah. Have a bagel as you ride on the tee. Hey, Timmy, uh, did you look it up? Like, how long did it take her to get caught? Oh, she was caught that day. Like, oh, I mean, oh, like she, she, she finished, she broke the tape and they were like, wow, and they, great they gave time. her flowers and everything like That's that. Totally worth it, by the way. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I love agree. her style. I don't like her style. I love her style. <laughs> she had those 15 minutes of glory. And also, dude, something. she's super famous. Like yeah, that's an amazing crazy. story. Here's a better yeah. question. Who actually won? Nobody knows who actually won. Uh, oh, shoot. I did at one point. That poor um, woman. My wife is running her second marathon. Uh, the sun four days after this podcast will air. So that'll be exciting. 26.2 miles all the way. It's a lot. It's a lot. Um, farthest you've ever run. Uh, 11, I think. Ben, I ran a marathon. Oh, which one? The Knoxville marathon. Go Knoxville. All right. Yeah, for sure. And then I hurt uh, myself in, I injured myself training for the second one. So I, I haven't tried to out. do that again. Yeah. What about I mean, you, Tim? What's run. your longest? Didn't the first guy die? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what are we doing? What are we trying to do? What's your what's your longest run, Tim? I do not know. Uh, but I know that in high school, I won a junior varsity cross-country race. Uh, something that I proudly stated to my daughter the other day. And she said, what year were you? And I was like, why would you ask that question? I won the JV race. That's all that's important. She's like, I bet you were a junior. I'm like, you're grounded. Yes, my, <laughs> you're raising too many lawyers in that house for sure. All right. Um, Paul Geidel was released from prison in 1980. The longest uh, inmate in America's history. Any guess as to when he was first put away? He's released in 1980. Longest inmate in American history. Still, still now? Yeah. Holy crap. I'm going to guess uh, 1909. I'm going to take under that. 1911. Oh, very nice. He's great. Amazing guess, Jack. Well he's done. He's put in for second degree murder. He, he, Killed a man and stole from him, thinking he was going to make a lot of money. The man only had a few dollars on him. He gets parole in 1974, uh, oh. and he and he says no thanks. You know, he he all his family's dead. Has no idea how to live on the outside world. He was put away when he was 17, uh, and he so he just stays institutionalized until 1980, when he finally uh, gets talked by some uh, prison officials into leaving and going Good out to the Lord. Um, any, any ideas where he moved to? Massachusetts. No, hopefully Zihuatanejo in Mexico. Yeah, that guy with say. red and... Oh, that would be lovely. Uh, he went right to a nursing home. Oh. Died 10 years later. Woo! Paul <laughs> Geidel, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I'm sure he missed prison. Yeah. All right, let's get back to the music. The number one selling album, Jeff Simons. Give us just a few notes, even though we've covered this band before. Okay, let's see. What are the right two notes to use for this record? Probably, probably these. 
It's the number one album. The Wall by Pink Floyd. We don't need no education. Comes out in 1979, but still sells, 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 and it's the number one selling album of 1980. It's the number one selling album of 79 and 80. Yep. Well, no, no. Remember, it it's the all-time biggest seller that was released in 1979. Okay. And it's the number one selling album within the year of 1980. I love it, Timmy, when we get into these discussions. It's so amazing. You're but, just, you just here, are like explaining it all away. It's so good. It kind of sort of makes sense, except when you actually listen to all of them in a row where it doesn't really make sense. Here, here's so what, good. Well, that's why this was so hard to create. Look at all these columns. Uh, but it's not the number one selling album of all time that was released in 1980. It isn't? No. That's... Because it, it wasn't released in 1980. Oh, right. It was released okay. in 1979. So either of you have a guest, guest for the number one selling album of 1980, all time. Are you all Googling time. Ben Barton? No, I am not. I'm looking okay. up the name of the Supreme Court Justice who has the quote that I want to say. Oh my God, I love it. Um, is it a soundtrack record? It is not. Then I don't have a guess. I, I refuse to guess. No, I just don't have one. I thought it was the Chariots of Fire soundtrack, but uh, no. Ben, what do you got? I got nothing. Help us out. Back in Black, ACDC oh, yeah. is the yeah. number one selling album of all time, good. at least in 1980. All right. Are, are you, is your Supreme Court justice coming I, in right now? Justice Robert Jackson has a great quote for this. Okay. The more you explain it, the less I understand it. <laughs> so good. <laughs> what was he referring to when he said that? He was in dissent. I mean, uh, pornography. Great, he was referring like, to pornography. Seriously, when, like I'm at faculty meetings and people are talking and I'm just like, yeah. that quote's just running in a circle in my head. You uh, know, my favorite quote right now is, it's from the Bible. It's from the book of Daniel. It's when... Um, the Pharaoh has a dream and he's like, if you guys don't figure out this dream in the next hour, I'm killing all my dream interpreters. Oh. They'll run to Daniel and he's like, Daniel, what are we going to do? The king's got a dream. We can't figure it out. He's going to kill us all. And Daniel wakes up from a nap and rolls over and says, why is the decree of the king so urgent? <laughs> that's, my, that's my faculty meeting go-to. Like, we got to get this done right now. As his parents are yelling. I'm like, why is the decree of the king so urgent? We're going to be all right. Good stuff. All right. Impossible question for you. What is Lawrence Kasdan's greatest screenplay? His run starts in 1980 with Empire Strikes Back. Mm, that's pretty good. 81, he writes, he writes Body Heat and Raiders of the Lost Ark. In 83, he writes Return of the Jedi and The Big Chill. In 1985, he writes Silverado. I'm skipping a bunch, too. He's, he's writing others. In 92, The Bodyguard. Oh, hey now. <laughs> and hey you now. also skipped Grand Canyon, right? Didn't I you did write, skip uh, Grand Canyon. That, Grand that was a good Canyon. skip, Timmy, That was not going to help anybody. <laughs> and then in, what, in the last, I guess, 10 years, uh, The Force Awakens and Solo, A Star Wars Story. The impossible question, your favorite Lawrence Kasdan screenplay? It's either Empire or uh, Raiders. I agree. Those, those I was trying to think of which has the better line. I love you, I know from Empire is pretty, pretty sweet back and forth. 
Bummer that he didn't write that line. That's an ad lib. Yeah, it's an ad lib. But oh well, then I'll go with Raiders because my favorite <laughs> moment in Empire is apparently not written by him. So. Uh, either of you see Silverado? Yeah, Silverado's Silver. great. Really I saw great the theater. Really great movie. Oh wow, good job. Uh, I remember it being so dark. I came in late. I remember we missed the previews and we're late and we came in and the first whole scene is by yeah. firelight. And honest to God, our, our eyes couldn't adjust. I The first 15 <laughs> minutes of Silverado, I was like, can you see anything? I can't see anything. <laughs> Who was that? Who said that? I still remember that like, what, 100 years later that that was my experience. Uh, I mean, my beef with Silver, Silverado is great, but yeah. my beef with it is that it's a, it's a really, really, really straight ahead just remake of a bunch of Westerns. And that's right. not the case with Raiders or with Empire. Those mm. are like recasting of American dreams in different settings. Yeah. So, he also wrote uh, Wyatt Earp, starring Kevin Costner, but I oh, never boy. saw that. Oh, boy, that I did one. not see. Okay, we're all, we're all out on that. Um, last thing, and then we'll put 1980 to bed with our three albums. John Lennon is shot and killed by Mark David Chapman in 1980. Um, and it, he's an interesting figure for our podcast because we don't really cover him with the Beatles, given where we start. Um, and we've never really had a conversation about his solo work. Um, so let's give John Lennon a little bit of love. Jeff, you've got the iTunes ready to go. If you don't know anything about John Lennon, what's a song that you think captures John Lennon or, or something that John Lennon wrote that you you two absolutely love? I'm going to let Ben go first. I'm going to so, yeah, solo gonna, or no, Beatles. No, you do your thing, man. Go, go, go. Solo or oh, Beatles. really? I can't get the, uh, I can't win the toss and uh, defer. So, okay. So I'll take a hot take on John Lennon. Okay. And a hot take on Paul McCartney. Here's a great example of the sum being greater than its individual parts. Okay. Lennon brings this cynical, acerbic, uh, kind of dark sense of humor, very unhappy childhood, minor key interest uh, to the Beatles. And Paul McCartney brings this eternal optimism. The sun is always shining. Rainbows are falling out of our shoes. I grew up loved and adored and uh, encouraged in all of my art. And you put those things together and you get the psychedelic rainbow spectacular thing that is the Beatles at their best. When you okay. separate them, Paul McCartney's solo albums, most of them are syrupy. They're a little too positive. There is yeah. no edge. He's got very little to say other than wouldn't it be lovely if we all got along. You take away Paul's optimism. And with John, you get a very dark worldview. Like nobody understands me. Everybody wants everything from me and I don't know how to give it to them. Um, and I, I have a hard time defending their solo work I, there are okay. individual tracks that are spectacular there are tracks from band on the run by mccartney that are just him at his absolute best they're musically spectacular he sings his ass off and there are moments from john lennon's first solo record the one he made right after he broke up the beatles called plastic ono band that i love because of their rawness and because he's you know i just i believe the guy who okay. is singing to me. So if I had to pick a John Lennon song, it would either be the very first one of his solo career or the very last one. So I'll go with the, with a song from the first record. I even know this is my favorite, but this is the one that's jumping out of me today. This is just a little two minute song uh, that, that 
is the part of John Lennon that I enjoy. Like this is a, it's a quartet. There's no overdubs. It's Ringo on drums and Klaus Vorman, their old friend on bass and John playing guitar. It's unassuming. And it's a song that is mostly written, I think, for himself that just happens to be written by one of the foremost famous musicians of the 20th century. So <laughs> my favorite of, of the moment John Lennon's song, I guess, is Hold On, which I still love. <laughs> prefer that to imagine or the ones that everybody give peace a chance like that was lovely yeah was lovely. And, but it's about I mean, him right it's a song about like yeah. john hold, hold on, on you're gonna john. be all right yeah. what's not to be all right like he's a billionaire right, right. with an estate like everything's fine but john could never Come he could that. never yeah. uh feel any kind of real comfort and uh it's a shame i think he was just starting to get to a place where maybe he could when he uh he got killed. But that's my two cents okay. on John Lennon. All right. Ben Barton. Yeah. Um, I just have to choose the Beatles songs. I mean, A Day in the Life is the song that everybody knows. That song is a spectacular, amazing, you know, top five Beatles song. Right. The one that people may not have listened to recently. Uh, one of George's best friends from high school, her favorite song period not her favorite Beatles song her favorite song in the world is across the universe which is like and I was like really so I just went back and listened to it and I was like ah, that's a great song yeah it is <laughs> so great I thought the whole conceit here was John's solo career though is that wrong Timmy yeah no you were wrong well then I didn't understand the question you are <laughs> suggesting that people have never heard of the Beatles what kind of question is that? I thought we were talking about the solo. First of all, we don't have to fight, Lennon. man. Just because yeah. I got across the universe and you got that random song, it's not a so problem. It's all good. Yes, I like some Beatles songs too. Uh, I, some of those are real good. I, I need to, I need to paraphrase Daniel here. Like, why are we so worried about the King's decree? You know, like yes, yeah, very close, sure. very close. To <laughs> uh, <laughs> go ahead, give us a little across the universe. Like endless rain into a paper cup They slither wildly as they slip away Across the universe Pools of sorrow, waves of joy Are drifting through my opened mind Possessing and caressing me Lovely. Lovely. What a... What a weird moment um, to have Howard Cosell like break that news. What a weird murder. Uh, the whole thing my is just awful. Broken up about it, especially oh. my dad. And it was a really intense time in New York. Like it was just. Oh, yeah. I feel like maybe my dad went to the candlelight vigil. I mean, it was just like a super intense time. Yeah. Yeah. My parents fell apart when they announced it on the on TV. Yeah. Which they never did. Like they just never cared. To do that, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good call, Howard. Uh, all right, our three albums. Our three albums. 
1980, uh, start of a new decade. And uh, as you pointed out, it's kind of dark times in America, right? Like it's the 70s have been rough. And uh, music represents that in how music got rough around the edges again, uh, specifically in the kind of back to basics movement from these big overblown 70s rock superstars that becomes the punk rock movement. We covered a lot about punk rock in London and we covered a lot about punk rock in New York, but I'm going to give some love to Los Angeles, punk rock in Los Angeles, also a really vibrant scene that does some very interesting things to music in the, in the 1980s. Um, probably the most famous uh, punk rock band to come out of Los Angeles is Black Flag, although I think they're more notorious than they are beloved. Uh, Black Flag made a lot of music and a lot of it is really, really bad. Um, they're the most famous Los Angeles punk band, but the best Los Angeles punk band is the band that puts out their debut record in 1980. And I, there's so many things I love about this record, but the first one is I just broke Tim's record for shortest album of the year by three seconds. So this yes. is a record that's 27 minutes and 28 seconds long, which beats makes Nashville skyline look like a double record. No one's laughing at Dolly Parton now. That's right. Anyway, the band is X, or Bob Dylan. and the record <laughs> is called Los Angeles. Exene, Cervenka, John Doe, Billy Zoom, and DJ Bonebreak of the Germs Formed wow. in 1977, um, and they are very quickly superstars of the local LA punk scene, primarily because, unlike most of the LA punk bands, they can all sing and play really well. Oh. Like uh, Doe, Zoom, and Bone Greg are all very good musicians. Um, but what makes X so great, not just that the songs are these are great songs, but uh, they have some things that are kind of unique about them. Exene and John Doe co-sing together as co-lead vocalists, and they sing in fourths and fifths instead of in thirds. What is, Most what harmony vocals mean? complete yeah. a happy triad. Like, you know, when you when you hear background vocals, it usually sounds bigger and brighter. Like, okay. you know, da-da-da, and you have that happy bum-bum-bum-bum-bum. What you'll hear in the part that I play huh. is these guys aren't singing the traditional harmony parts. They're singing in the tones that don't tell you whether you're in a major and minor. So it's really different. It's a really cool approach. But you can think of X as the intersection of if you took the Doors um, kind of uh, mythology of modern Los Angeles and you put it through Los Lobos' kind of East LA, rockabilly Los Angeles sound, and you threw in some black flag hardcore, and then you took the short stories and poetry of Charles Bukowski and Raymond Chandler, and you kind of smashed them all together in a blender, you'd get X. The little stories of the songs are great. The, the playing is great, super energetic. Um, the band makes four great records in a row. This one, Wild Gift, under the Big Black Sun and More Fun in the New World. From 1980 to 1984, this band's just on an unbelievable hot streak. Um, and just when they're about to cross over, they break up. Um, they, uh, they have since reformed and they play a lot actually as a, um, they do like a little California tour every uh, Christmas time. They'll play uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles. Uh, and it's packed every time with people like me who are just, lifelong X fans who want to hear these songs live again. Um, but this first record is, uh, it was signed to an independent label. They were signed to Slash Records, which is a little independent label, but it had major label distribution through Sire, which is the same company that signed the Ramones and Talking Heads and all the CBGB's bands. 
Um, so uh, once again, Seymour Stein with great ears and uh, bringing this kind of weird independent music to a big audience. I'm going to play the second half of the title track uh, just so you can hear it end. Um, and I just can't say enough about these guys. I, uh, I, think, uh, I think they're great. I think they're underrated. Uh, and I think Exine and John Doe are one of the most unique, interesting uh, uh, male-female duos to front a rock band. And they have kind of a Lindsey Buckingham, Stevie Nicks thing. They were a couple. They broke up. They stayed in the band together. But if, if, uh, if Lindsey and Stevie had wanted to be art students rather than rock stars, they, they might they would have had some similarities with this handband going on. So here's the second half of Los Angeles by X. Los Angeles by X. never heard that song before that was terrific i don't know ben have you one. heard that song before i think i've heard that song before this is one of the ones that jeff has really has worked hard on did he's, you not like that ben? that was good i thought that was good i thought that was good the, the, i mean the the entire collection is too much for me but that's song's good but, uh, there's something there's something unsaid. Do you guys have a history of X? I didn't know X was another one in the list of bands. Bands Jesus just can't Christ. convince Ben to listen to. Oh my God. What's happening? I, I, right I don't, now? this is all news to me. Like I assume that Ben and I talked about this and he's like, you're right. They are great. Let's be best friends. Like I, you, I don't know. You, had, you had prepared yourself for like him, not liking Marshall Crenshaw, but now oh, I knew that was, a, that's too like tuneful and, and happy sounding for, for the old Bensky. But that was uh, fun. I thought ben. Los Angeles would have an X has enough grit to pass the test. That's hilarious. Besides, that, Pearl Jam loves this band. They, oh, they for sure. worship X. They're great. So. Yeah, no, totally. I get that. He's holding back. Anyway, I recommend these guys. They're really the first. Anything off the first four records is is uh, real good. And the, the the best of those records is as good as anything from that this moment. It's really really good. Stuff. Well, I cannot wait for Mr. Barton to go after his son about his lack of love for X as well. Like this is going to be great. Less likely than the Bee Gees for sure. <laughs> Well, what's well, honestly, Ben, what's your take? I, I mean, do you own some albums by them? Uh, so Jeff has got a list of his, the greatest albums and a list of his favorite songs. And I just went, I've just got him downloaded them all and listened right. through them all. Um, and this was just, this was not one of the ones that popped for me. And this is actually similar to a previous one. I actually looked it up. I was like, wait, isn't this the band that Billy Idol was in? 
No, no. that's Generation X. Oh, yes. okay, okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. Phew. There is a Billy in the band, though. Billy Zoom is the guitar player. That's Who quit hilarious. in 1986. He said, if we don't have a top 10 record in the first five years, I quit. And he quit and he became a real estate agent and like wildly oh. successful. But now oh. he does all the reunion shows because it's just for fun. That's I kind of love that guy. Like that's he got great. out before he got bitter and angry. And so they're all still close friends now, you know, it's pretty oh, good. that's great. Um, no, I thought that was terrific. I, I had never, I've always kind of heard about X, uh, but never figured out where to start with X. So I start with their 1980 album. I would start with Los Angeles. You, or you could start with um, more fun in the new world, which you'll also really like. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Ben Barton, what do you got for 1980? Okay, in 1978, Jeff had previously name-checked Charlie Gillett, the DJ on the BBC. He was the first person to play Sultans of Swing on the BBC, and unsurprisingly, Dire Straits were signed immediately. Dire Straits form, they're a brother act, and they're actually formed by the less famous one, David Knopfler and his roommate, whose name I forget is the bassist, I'm sorry, I, I just fell and hit my head. Are we doing Dire Straits right now? Indeed. This is so exciting. I'm so excited. So, uh, oh, my brother in arms. Roommate get uh, Pick Withers, who's an actual <laughs> legitimate musician. This is the drummer, and he's done 10 years of session work in London, and they convinced okay. him, went him into being in the band. So he's jamming with them, and David's like, you know who she bring in? We'll bring in my older brother, Mark. He can also play. And he, Mark's like an English teacher, and David Knopfler's a social worker. Like, they're just hey. bumming around doing nothing. Hey. Um, they get together. They cut four demos, one of which is Sultan's a Swing. The other one is the, whatever the waterfront one is. What's that called, Jeff? Called Down to the Waterline, which is yeah. also a killer so they, song. They write several really, really, really good songs. They get signed. They put out the first record. And I think Jeff likes the first record more than I do. Sultan's a Swing is like, what can you say? That's a, a perfect rock song, like just spectacular, amazing. The playing is so great on it. One of the things that like just continuously, Mark Knopfler taught himself to play. Wow. And it's a little similar to the Jimi Hendrix thing. Like Jimi Hendrix was left-handed. And so he strung the guitar weird and he taught himself to play. And that's why it's so different. Yeah. Like, if he had done a bunch of guitar lessons, he would have sounded like Chuck Berry. He would have sounded like everybody else. But instead, he taught himself to play, and so he's got this weird, angular thing to it. So the, the thing that was funny is that Knopfler taught himself to play. He learned to play from Chet Atkins. And so Chet Atkins was famous as like more of a finger-picking guitar player. Yeah. He didn't really use a pick. And so Knopfler never really learned to use a pick. And that's the secret sauce to his sound. Like, it's got a real, like, plucky sound to it. It mm. sounds almost like instead of like a piano, it's a hammer, and a, a pick will just hammer on the string, whereas a pluck is like a harpsichord. Like, it's a bling, bling, bling. It's got a much sharper little get to it. And even when he's playing chords, you'll hear this, like, dunk, dunk, da, 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 da. like, that's the Sultan's a Swing thing. So I've always loved, loved, loved just playing. I love Sultan's a Swing. Um, second record, not good. Communique. Jeff may disagree. I think there's Lady Writer on that. Uh, but there's not a lot of good songs on the second record. Classic choking sophomore slump second it's record. It's not clear that they're going to make it at all. Knopfler hears Because the Night, Patty Smith, and he's like, who produced that? And it's Jimmy Iovine. And he's like, yeah. gets him on the phone, and he's like, did you got to come and do our third record? You're our guy. So he gets Iovine. 
Iovine, and the, in particular, Knopfler's like, I, I, I love the piano work on Because the Night. And Knopfler's like, have you heard of a guy? I mean, Iovine's like, have you heard of a guy named Bruce Springsteen? Because <laughs> you might also like the piano work on his songs. Because <laughs> Iovine's the engineer on Darkness. And uh, I mean, he's kind of the shadow producer on Darkness. And the Because the Night is from the Darkness sessions. And that's yeah. how he gets it to Patti Smith. So not only does he get Iovine, Iovine's like, you know, I'll just call up Roy Bitten. Roy Bitten comes and plays on making movies. So, I mean, and who, who's Roy Bitten? He's the piano player for the E Street Band. Oh. And he's the professor and he's, he's a brilliant, brilliant. He's, this is like the third or fourth time we've discussed him. He was the co-producer of Car Wheels on the Gravel Road. Like he's a really oh, under-recognized, wow. yeah, spectacular, he's a fantastic brilliant musician. musician. And also just the ear on that guy. I've gotten some heat. Uh, for not liking keyboards and i've tried to explain that i hate synthesizers but i like piano okay and making movies ironically is one of the great piano records like yeah. piano playing on this record is so beautiful and perfect and tasteful and it's completely due to i i mean it's ivine and bitten for sure they bring it and then of course bitten doesn't tour with them and then the, the it's this isn't their best-selling record their best-selling record is brothers in arms i prefer this record oh like by a country mile brothers in arms has got three or four good songs on it and three or four really disaster like <laughs> songs on it but this this record is so vastly it's it's easily by a mile the peak of their career and in my opinion it's the it's the ivine bitten work it's just so like spectacular and awesome. One other thing that really helped is they start recording the album and David Knopfler quits. Yep. He gets in a huge fight with his brother. And first of all, I mean, you go back and look at it. The first record, 100% Mark Knopfler originals. The second record, I'm pretty sure are all Knopfler originals too. But David Knopfler's like, I don't know why we don't have more of my sounds on these records. <laughs> oh boy. So they're fighting and fighting and basically Knopfler fires his brother. And then he's got a couple of studio guys to play rhythm, but basically he does all the guitar parts and it's a huge improvement. It's a huge improvement because you don't have to hear someone who's not Mark Knopfler play, basically. Like if you're in a band with Mark Knopfler, it's just, just lay back. Yeah. You know what right. I mean? You really don't need, we don't need to hear more from you. Right. Sure. Or do something besides guitar. Yes. Yeah, no, totally. Absolutely. So they record the record. It's a breakup record. It's a beautiful, spectacular record. It's always been my favorite. Um, I've got a huge soft spot for breakup records. Uh, and this goes into the blood on the tracks type thing. Um, and I've also got a huge spot for soft spot for Knopfler. He does the guitar work on Slow Train Coming, the Dylan record, and also on Infidels, the Dylan record. And Jeff may disagree. He's my favorite Dylan guitarist. Like those are not my favorite Dylan records, but his guitar work on those records are amazing. I had the great, amazing good fortune. We've been quite critical of our guy, Eric Clapton. September 1988, I see the Clapton tour with Knopfler as the supporting guitarist. The wow. entire show I found today on YouTube. Oh. The entire September 1988 show. And I was like, oh, maybe this sucks because I remember it being fantastic. It's freaking fantastic. Oh, good. Like, Nafla rearranged all the songs. He's such a like generous, careful player. Um, it's spectacular. Always love this guy. Wait, right, wait. So he's playing guitar for Eric Clapton's singing? No, Clapton no, plays Clapton's lead the lead and Knopfler plays rhythm. And there's a whole bunch of scenes where Knopfler's just like hanging out in the back, like, hey, I'm Mark Knopfler. I keep in mind, um, <laughs> like, um, 
Brothers in Arms was such a gargantuan, massive, right. over-the-top worldwide hit. And they toured making movies for three years. Like, this, th- that dude and that band had been on tour, super similar to how we described Radiohead. Like, they've been on tour 200 nights a year for seven years. Like, they set Australian touring records for how many people saw concerts in Australia. Yep. Wow. That's how hard they were hitting the road. So by 88, he was in full burnout mode. But in 1980, he was just hitting his peak. It's a great record, not a good record. It's a great record. Uh, ironically for me, long songs, three songs on side one, Tunnel of Love, 8 and 11, Romeo and Juliet, which is the, the best known song. People so probably great. know that one, six minutes, Skate Away, 640. So and great. then side two, Expresso Love, 512, Hand in Hand, 448, Solid Rock, 319, and then... We're just going to have an agreement that the last song, Less Boys, doesn't exist. I, I'm bringing Nothing it up. Nothing ever though. happened. I'm like, bringing uh, it up. It's a, it's a horrible, disastrous, <laughs> massive black mark, not only on this record, but on Knopfler's entire career. Oh, wow. We're just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Does, it, does it mention a minstrel gigolo? Really it's, it's worse, yeah. far worse. I'm, that's my that's my contribution to this conversation. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So um, this is another one of these albums where uh tunnel of love romeo and juliet expressive expresso love and solid rock were all my favorite songs but but the last favorite song similar to darkness and racing in the streets was the longest one which is hand in hand hand in hand has become one of my all-time favorite songs and we discussed the emotional palette of these breakup records and why so for for example derek and the dominoes record chafed on me as I became an an older person because it was so like immature and blamey of the other person and taking no responsibility for it hand in hand is the opposite like it's a beautiful beautiful song where Knopfler reflects on his own part his own part in the breakup and the chorus is if I've been hard on you I never chose to be I never wanted anybody else I just did my best to be like like uh, that we lovers are supposed to hand in hand like it's just someone a- you could talk to hand in hand like lovers are supposed yeah. to great line um, and it's it's actually it's really 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 like since i haven't had a breakup in a long time it's actually really stood in for me for parenting um anyone who's listened to more than this episode or any other episode knows i could be a hard person to live with for sure um, and this song somehow captures that emotion for me of that um you know like I, I, I like I, I if I've been hard on you I didn't choose to be and when he says I, I didn't choose to be it, it actually to me is like he's ta- he's discussing his own nature like he's not mm. discussing like right. the, the choices that he's made along the way he's like he, some of these things are baked in like this is just a little bit the way I am Jeff if you will start at minute 112 so we can get verse two making movies by dire straits as you sleep I'd think my heart would break in two I'd kiss your cheek I'd stop myself from waking you But in the dark you'd speak my name Say, baby, what's wrong? Oh, here I am I'm coming back for more I'm like a wave It's got to roll into the shore Yes, if my love's in vain I come on love is so If I'm on I never chose 
perfect fade out. It goes right into this pretty. really pretty. pretty little bridge part. And the funny thing about it is uh, this is the least guitar-y song on the record. Um, it's the one that is the least flashy playing. It's mostly a piano ballad. And yet somehow I've settled on this one as my absolute favorite. I just love this one. Wow. Good stuff. Awesome. I'm going to change my 1984 pick because I was afraid Dire Straits were going to get a, we're going to get the stiff arm. Uh, I would have picked Alchemy, the live record, as my Dire Straits. I listened to that record every day for two years. Like I just was obsessed wow. with it. Uh, and it had amazing live versions of all the record, but this is their best studio record by all time. And if it weren't for track seven, I think making movies would be a top 20 all timer for me. It's still up there. It's top 50 or something. But the last track is a, uh, is just a inexcusable homophobic track about uh, gay men called Lay's boys. And it's just the laziest, like huh. aren't, effeminate men hilarious for like four minutes and it's really it's boring it's a dog roll and it makes all of the homophobia of money for nothing super suspect like his whole thing on that was like well that's how the guy in the store was talking when i was listening to him about the mtv but there's a bad track record here for knopfler that he's already established um i actually am surprised that all of the remasterings and all of the re-releases, they just keep tacking that song on there. Like, <laughs> just get rid Ben's of it. Ben's absolutely so right. If you, if and I actually, I'm one of those people who like it matters to me that I have the whole idea of art. Like, I don't cut songs, but I don't. I just cut that song off my iPod. I, I don't oh, want dude, anything to do with it. Like, right. Well, also, it's a, it's a, it, like, it's a 37 minute record, and that song is four minutes. It's mm -hmm. a, then it's a 33 minute record. Nobody notices. Right. No, they don't. And it's amazing. Like you, I assume you start, it's on there because they didn't have a song to get it over 35 minutes, which was industry standard at the time. But it's like, dude, like, do something, anything else. Like, well, also, just, if you get rid of that song, "Tunnel of Love" is about the hookup. Like that's yes. the beginning of this story. Romeo and Juliet's a breakup. Skate Away is a little bit of a, like, it's a great song. And the great. guitar work on that is spectacular. That being said, it's a goofy song about roller skating. Yeah. But then you get <laughs> Expresso Love, Hand in Hand, and then you could end on Solid Rock. Yeah. Like that's where he's going to live. He's he's over the breakup now. Everything's better. And then you get this random song at the end. Like, yeah, no, really it, it inexplicable undercuts. and a shame. It really undercuts all the great insights into human nature that he makes along the way. It's really a shame, but it's a great record. And, uh, and they're, uh, that's funny. Like they're an underrated band now. Like they did not survive into the Pantheon. No, they because really of the, Because the production values on brothers in arms are so eighties. Like right. when a brothers in arms track comes on, I'm just like, Oh, my teeth hurt. It's so trebly. I mean, it's just like chewing peppermint glass. You know, it just hasn't, the sound of it has aged really badly. This song, this record sounds like. Oh my God. The, the, the so I mean, great. production, like so, uh, just on the hot streak that he was on for sure. Oh. I mean, he did the, he did the Petty record last year. Like he's just in fuego during this stretch. Darkness, yeah. Damn the Torpedoes, making movies all in a row. And these records wow. sound fantastic. Fantastic. Like you can hear every individual note it, and it like, uh, and actually, you know, um, in compare like darkness versus born to run, born to run. He's just piling layers on top of layers on top of layers. It's hard to tell. Like it's, there's so much sound. It's hard to pull out the instruments. Darkness is the exact opposite. Yeah. Like 
every single plank of like every like all the drum beats like you can hear all the cymbals everything max is doing you can hear the organ versus the piano like when they come in just amazing and that's the production man he pulls it out and then there's not a wasted note like it's just like it's also his engineer shelly yakis is the engineer on all those records he's the guy placing mics and uh and and figuring out how to make that snare drum sound happen like so yeah he those two are an unbelievable team who produces the uh, brothers in arms you know that's the one to montserrat yeah that's that's the one i actually purchased and remember listening to over and over again um and and by the way the 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 uh mark knopfler fires his friends trait keeps going on brothers in arms because they tour like like ben said they tour the world with the same six guys for eight years they finally get over the top alchemy finally establishes the band he's going to fly him this montserrat in switzerland to record this you know the follow-up and uh the drummer gets a a letter like don't bother man we're bringing omar hakeem with us and they just wow. don't, they freeze his ass out. It's Omar Hakim on that record. And then they call oh. him up like, okay, it's tour time. Pack your shit. And he has to play all those songs. He has to play Omar's parts. Although he does it all the way to a, one of the great paydays of the 80s. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, it worked out. Good. I'm sure yeah, he was okay out. with it. But right, it's still, right. It's still it hurts. It still hurts. <laughs> uh, this is even meaner to say, but I mean, if you can fire somebody, get Omar Hakim. I mean... Like, I know, right? About here? All right, so Jeff Simon's by the way, it's going to be 50 years of music with uh, Ben Omar Hakim. So Jeff, you've lost your 1984 pick, but you've been really uh, digging into the British music scene and um, kind of bringing to light great, great uh, music from England. So Level 42 is sitting there for you in 1984 if you need them. I'll see. You never know. I think okay. 1984 is the next year I don't have a pick. So I, I, bet. I will I a thousand percent guarantee my 84 pick will not be yours. I 10,000 <laughs> percent. And Ben Barton, I'd just like to say I'm not. Well, I'd like to say I've not been married to you. I'd like to say you've not been my father, but I really enjoy our podcast relationship. Very nice. Timmy. I Thanks think it's going great, back. even though you tend to like. <laughs> Dude, you, you were better before the even i was, I was. <laughs> all right nice what job. is the actual yeah. album of the year tim oh the actual album of the year is the pretenders uh the pretenders i mean oh i just love good boy this album i i love like you were talking about lennon and mccartney getting together there's something about chrissy hind from ohio of all places going to england and uh and, and forming a band in england and you had picked uh, Tattooed Love Boys. Oh, yeah. Which totally speaks to kind of this punk aspect to the Pretenders. But if you could play Brass in Pocket for us. Sure. There's something else going on to this band, too. Great video, too. One of the first really oh, great music yes. videos. Tell us Brass story. in Pocket. <laughs> They're, that, that video is just fabulous. Pretenders by the Pretenders. Got brass in pocket. Got battle. I'm gonna use it. Intention.
song. Jesus. Such a great song. And I just love her attitude that she brings it. And I like how often in our lives have we tried to get someone to notice us and like the things we do. And she's like, no, I'm not going to be insecure about this. I'm not going to be coy. I'm going to bring it. And you're going to notice me, gosh darn it, because I got something going on. Oh, so good. Yeah, I love I love her. By the way, today is her 70th birthday. Too. Hey, so, all right. Uh, also, uh, Stop Your Sobbing. Is that the name of the song? Yeah, it's a Kinks cover. Is it? Crushes yeah. it. And she's, then kid- uh, she's in a relationship with Ray Davis at this point. They're oh. living together. And so she oh. covers uh, Stop Your Sobbing on the first record. Another band with brothers. Uh, what's the song? Kid? Kid is great. I mean, this is a great, Jimmy, great this is album. your favorite. It's not Learning to Crawl. Learning to Crawl is actually my favorite. Oh, oh that's an God. interesting conversation to have when we get Hold to on. 80, whatever that is. I prefer this record too, Ben, Wait, but I learning? think Learning to Crawl is better than two. Oh, wait, uh, yeah, that, but I'm, I'm two is, fi- I, I, first of all, I love the pretenders and I'm not anti-pretenders. Um, two is not as good as either of these, these bookends. Um, yeah, I agree. Learning to Crawl is my favorite. I mean, that's the one oh, that just, back, that's the the one where yeah, back on the chain gang is my Middle favorite pretender song. But, but you know, that's the one where Farndon and Honeyman Scott have both died and she has to put the band all back together. I know, but that's why it's, it's the great to crawl, comeback it's story amazing. of all time. Oh, it's, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. A thin line between love and hate. Oh, yes. I love that also song. Also a cover. Also a cover. Cover of, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an old 60s R&B yeah, hit. It's right, like by a right. one-hit wonder. Oh, she's she's just awesome. She's great. P- uh, Patty Smith, influencer? I would imagine, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. I just love how, I mean, I, we talked about it when we did 80 last time, but I just like, I feel like this record was good for me as a young kid. Like it totally, it, 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 it complicated sexuality, female sexuality, and my reaction to it in ways that I think brought out a better version of me as a human being. Like the idea that like her needs were equally as important as anybody else's was not something every Every rock song <laughs> communicated. Oh, right. So, right. And I just imagine, like, it's like if you're in a romantic entanglement with Chrissy Hind, yeah, you better deliver or you're going to hear about it. Like, I think that was, it was good to know that there were women out there who were going to demand my best effort. You please know? don't, please don't make a song out of me. Please don't make a song out of me. Please don't make a song. <laughs> ah, good stuff. Well, uh, lovely to see you, gentlemen, on this Wednesday. Indeed, Timmy. Well uh, done, wait, man. wait, wait. Ben Barton, it's, um, it's, 2021 it is august of 2021 what were you doing 26 years ago it's september tim it's september 2021 gun and it's time flies 26 years ago today i was at a rehearsal dinner with my beloved wife india kincana come on let's go the very next day we got married man 26 years wow for sure it was a great rehearsal dinner it had everything you want it had love great food one random hilarious open mic toast. Uh-oh. I mean, it was just, it had everything. <laughs> it was such a magical night. I just loved it. Oh. We uh, we had an open mic both at the rehearsal dinner and at the wedding. And oh, it was hey just now. like the Drake song. Quiet, I'm giving a toast. Like everyone <laughs> got up and just did it. It was amazing. <laughs> it was great. Oh, uh, that is wonderful. All right, well, happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to your beloved wife. 
and I will see you all in 1981. Very nice. Well done, Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here. And I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In, the Spanish remixes out now on Electric House Records. And always remember, be love, share love, all love. Available now wherever you listen to music. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid.